This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, so I've been, uh, I'm an elder now, but I joined five years ago. Joe and I have reflected that uh, when we made that decision to join God First, we moved to Cheltenham. Uh, from Bracknell, we'd had recommendation uh, about God First. Uh, we'd moved churches before because we'd moved locationally before, and our, uh, our, our process for deciding whether we were going to join a church or not was very much, we know that the church will be doing some things better than we've experienced in other churches, some things less well. That's cool, that's what it's about, uh, just as long as they're gunning for God and as long as they're not preaching heresy. And uh, five years of consistently not preaching heresy later, we're still here. But every Sunday I say to Joe, this might be the Sunday that they preach heresy and we can leave. And this really might be the Sunday that we preach heresy and I can leave. So uh, <clears throat> there we go. So if you are joining us for the first time uh, or, or for a first time in a little while, we're, we're currently on a series called uh, The Way of Jesus. Uh, and today uh, we're looking at the topic of generosity. So this series is basically about uh, pulling out some, some key themes and principles uh, from the gospel about the way that Jesus lived his life that we want to try and apply to our own life. So that's what it's about being a Christian, isn't it? Trying to be more like Jesus. Uh, and this week we're doing that on the topic of generosity. The, um, uh, the scripture, I mean, I, I could have picked anything really, uh, but the one that I felt really called to today is uh, Matthew 23, verse 23. So let me just uh, read that to us a couple of times. <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you tied mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You do everything. You tied mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You ought to have done these things uh, without neglecting the others. Uh, So a classically punchy bit of scripture from Jesus. I don't know if anyone here is a scribe. Uh, woe to you, if so. Is anyone else here a hypocrite? Good to see you again. <laughs> yeah, all right. See you at the meeting. Uh, <clears throat> big punching thing. Um, what we're going to look at today is, is really what the Bible says is, is at the heart of generosity. And I believe that in this scripture there's some stuff that Jesus would tell us, uh, which I think is, is a message for now about what the heart of generosity looks like, the heart of biblical generosity. Um, but there's just a couple of things I wanted to mention right at the top of this preach Uh, almost as a context before we go into those things of, uh, in particular, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And those two things are what generosity isn't and what it is, and why does the church talk about money? Um, So I just think that these are probably, hopefully, hopefully this isn't a waste of my allotted preaching time, uh, helpful things just to set us up for the the rest of, uh, uh, of the morning. So what generosity isn't and what generosity is. Generosity isn't, in and of itself, the giving of stuff. Okay, it's not about the stuff you give or how much you give. It's not about that. When I think about um, uh, generosity and who you would say is generous in the real world, one of my, uh, the, the go-to one that I was thinking of was uh, Warren Buffett, although also Bill Gates as well. So uh, Bill Gates, most people would know because of Microsoft. Wayne, uh, Warren Buffett is uh, uh, an extremely uh, successful businessman and investor, uh, inordinately wealthy. And um, these guys uh, basically made a pledge a few years ago. They're not the only people part of this pledge pledged to give away over 99% of their wealth. Now, they're billionaires, so that's quite a lot of money. That 1% also leads them with a lot of money. So these guys are generous, and I think when I think about them and they're, they're the giving pledge, 
um, when I think about generosity, these people come to mind, and they are generous, but they're not, they're not, it's generosity isn't just about what they're doing there. That's not, it's not in and of itself they're giving it. So why do I think Warren Buffett is generous? Is it because, well, it's because he gives money, but I give money. So, you know, when I was thinking about example of people who are generous, I could have said my own name, but people wouldn't have recognized that I'm a big giver. I'm, well, I'm not going to go into that, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, Warren Buffett, we recognize, is a big giver. So is the reason that Warren Buffett is generous is because he gives lots of money. Well, that's why we think of him as being generous. But actually, why is Warren Buffett giving lots of money? Because he's able to give lots of money, because he's got lots of money. And the 1% that he's going to be left with and hand down to his kids is more than I'm ever going to have uh, in my life as well. So if they are generous. I'm not saying that these guys aren't generous. Uh, I pray for these guys that they will come to know the Lord's. Um, but uh, generosity isn't in and of itself the giving of stuff or, or how much stuff you give or what you, what you give. Generosity is about the heart, and that's what really this scripture is looking at today. So Jesus, the Pharisees in, in this text, Jesus says they are giving, and he says that's good, but he says that that sacrifice isn't commended in them because they're not doing it with a heart of generosity. So it's not about what you give, be it money or stuff or, uh, or time or energy, it's about your heart. And Jesus calls us to a generosity that is just, merciful, uh, and faithful as well. Now, these are kingdom principles, okay? So it's not about the specifics. It's about these kingdom principles. But it is worth saying that the practical application of these kingdom principles, the practical application of a heart of generosity, tends to manifest itself by the giving of stuff. So I hope that makes sense. So there's, it's not about the practicalities. It's about the heart behind it. But actually, the way that we manifest it tends to be practical as well. So we hear that in James, don't we? The book of James, he says, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith with deeds. We're not saved by deeds, we're saved by grace. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. But actually the heart of someone who is saved tends to lead them into doing these deeds as well. That's what he's talking about. So that's what generosity is and what it is. Why does the church talk about money? Because uh, when we talk about generosity, we're talking about this, uh, it's impossible not to talk about this practical application of it because we're called to uh, uh, faith that has deeds. Money is one of the ways it does it. Money in and of itself is, is valueless, spiritually speaking. Okay? It has, obviously, it has a financial value. There are other values attached to it as well. But spiritually speaking, it's neutral. But the Bible tells us that it can have both negative and both positive connotations as well. So we're told that the love of money can be the root of all kinds of evil, but equally we're told that money can be used to bless, um, it can be used to liberate ourselves, and it can be used to support others as well. So it's just, it's just a context to talk about. And the reason I wanted to say a little bit about why the church, why we, why I uh, am talking about money is because I recognise that people have different experiences with money. You're having different experiences in, in this room and different experiences when it comes to the church and money. I've had really good experiences of a church and money. I think, to be honest, I just see it as like a context, one of the areas in my life that like God can work through me, bless others, uh, and bless me as well. But Jesus did talk about money a lot. It's interesting that Jesus, who's obviously the example that we're talking about in terms of generosity today, Jesus, like his example of generosity wasn't primarily financial. So it's not like Jesus went around and he earned big crowds because he was like giving them loads of cash. He didn't do that. His generosity was this incredibly high bar generosity that we want to aspire towards. But he did talk about money a lot. So over 50% of his, his parables mention money in some way or another. The Bible mentions it 850 times because he recognises that for a lot of people it is the context or one of the key contexts for which we outwork generosity as well. So I hope that makes sense. Hard to talk about one without the other. That was my intro. A lot of time gone. Um, but now we're going to dive in. So uh, what is the heart of generosity? Well, the specifics that Jesus mentions in this scripture, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through them one at a time, and then we're just going to talk about a few practicalities uh, at the end as well. So justice. God 
calls us to a generosity that is just. God is absolutely a God of justice, okay? Like, there's no question about that. God is the arbiter of justice. We're told that his throne is built upon justice and righteousness. He decides what justice is. Justice is a separate seminar. I'm basically doing, like, four sermons today, fortunately I speak, at the speed of uh, a normal person times four. Uh, Justice is, like, a whole big topic. But if you were to go in Bible Gateway and look for the topic of justice, there's a lot in there, and God cares about justice, and he cares about those who are having injustice done to them as well. So he calls us time and again to look out for those uh, who are facing injustice. In fact, in Isaiah 58, this famous scripture of a topic, where uh, he says, uh, is this not the fast or the sacrifice that I have chosen? Uh, he, he's calling people to this, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So God is consistently, in the scriptures, calling us into justice and calling us to advocacy on behalf of those who cannot get justice for themselves. Now, it's important to say that God didn't give us poverty as something to do, okay? So it's not like God created poverty for, like, be a really good way for the people who follow me to have something to do, so here's poverty, go and deal with it. Poverty is uh, a consequence of the curse that the earth is under because of sin, okay? So sin came into the earth through Adam and Eve. The earth is cursed because of that, so we, 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 we recognise that we're fighting against this, uh, the sin and the flesh and the devil. All types of different sin, often they have the same root. One of the most common ones is about greed. And sins like greed have led to an unequal distribution of wealth, which in turn means that there's poverty. Okay? So poverty is a byproduct of sinfulness. Poverty exists there, so it's not like God gave it to us. Consequently, <clears throat> generosity is meant to be about justice. So God cares about this. He cares about justice. He cares about those uh, who are having injustice done against them. Uh, and and, and whether, whatever type of unequal distribution of wealth that is affecting them, that can be money. Money is one we're going to be talking about a lot. But it can be uh, relationally or like geographically or emotionally or socially or whatever it is. It tends to be the case that the rich are better for all of those things because the more money you have, you can live in a better geographic area, you can uh, invest more in like a number of things, whereas the poor you have, the less of that stuff you have. And generosity is meant to be about justice because it's meant to be one of the ways in which we deal with injustice. So the the biblical generosity we're called to is calling us to deal with this issue of injustice that has come about because of sin uh, and the unequal distribution of wealth. And there's a particular call on those of us who have the rich to help the poor in all of those different areas. So that's what that topic in Isaiah is talking about. It's talking about when you have, the call is on you to look out for the poor because God cares about them. And quickly a note on rich uh, and wealthy, what what defines us as rich and wealthy, because no one, I don't feel rich, probably no one in this room feels rich, not when we talked about Warren Buffett uh, uh, and and Bill Gates in any case. Biblically, the definition of of wealth is based on needs and wants. I'm not going to go loads into this, but basically the Bible would say that if your needs are covered for you, that's what God consistently promises. He says, I will meet your needs, don't worry, I will meet your needs. When you're into your wants, that's when, biblically speaking, you're like on the side of the rich. So I don't feel like I'm rich, but my needs are covered for in terms of like what, what, what money I've got. I've got a roof over my head. Uh, I've got food in my stomach, um, all of that stuff. I feel like I don't have enough, and I'm always asking, like, oh, I feel like I had more, and like I'd feel a bit more rich if I had this or that. But they're all within the category of want because it's all like I would like a nicer holiday. I would like a nicer car. I would like new carpets as well. So just, just quickly, the biblical definition probably means that most of us are rich. So for most of us, within that definition, there's this, there's this expectation and there's this call on us to care deeply about justice when it comes to the topic of generosity. Now, 
hold with me, because I think this, this was a really big revelation I had. I think it's the, the, the trickiest part on justice. Here's where I observed, I think, uh, my, my thinking on generosity was quite broken, and I think that, generally speaking, we do this. Um, and I think that God, Jesus' call to radical generosity, has the possibility to break this in our lives. Because I think that I tend to think of, and we tend to think of generosity as, like, us doing our part. Okay, so if you think about, like, you know, Live Aid or, or Comic Relief or, like, some Christmas appeal or something like this, it always feels like, uh, like the rich, like, deigning to do their little bit, like, oh, thank you for reminding me, it's a nice opportunity, I give some money to that, like, there was a comedy show as well, so it was naturally totally free, uh, and, like, I feel good, like, it feels like generosity is me doing my part. And the reason that I think we have this broken view of generosity, and particularly when it comes to justice, is because I think that we've got an unbiblical view of ownership. So I recognise I'm bringing a totally new principle here as well, but just, just stick with, with me with this. And um, I, I think what we need to recognise is that like, our culture's view of ownership has been de- developed over centuries, but it's actually pretty unbiblical. So it's been developed by economists and by politicians and by the market and by governments. And um, what I'm not about to do is like, be like, Christians should be socialists, like down with capitalism. What I'm trying to do is like, talk about something that I think is inherently broken. I don't have the answers for it. I don't necessarily think that socialism is the answer for it. I don't think politics is the answer for it. I think God's the only answer for it, really. Um, <clears throat> but it is something to bring out. And um, wh- one of the issues with this, uh, this, um, this earthly uh, uh, opinion of, o- of ownership, the key thing to take away on this, the key thing that I think is broken, is we've got this idea that there's this absolute right to private property. Okay, so that, that, that basically everyone should have an unfettered right to amass as much wealth as they possibly can in their life. And actually it will be good for the world if everyone does that. If everyone just cracks on and tries to make as much wealth for themselves, and if you got it, like, find us keeper, that's yours, like, you earned it, like, fair play, and everyone does that, that will probably be the best thing for the whole world. Now, I think categorically that's untrue, but it's also unbiblical as well. And in fact, like, the, the root of that is like in man, so like economists like Adam Smith put this forward, laissez-faire economics, not really going to go into this. But I think what we need to understand is that these are the waters we're swimming in. So culture's idea, like our, our society's like, idea on ownership is actually like, if it's yours, like you earn it. Like if you've got the possibility, it's like, you know when you play Monopoly the first time you go around the board, like I just buy everything I land on. It's like, that's what, you, yeah, that's the way to play it though, isn't it? But it's just like, that's what it's like. It's like, man, like anything you land on, buy it, buy it, collect it, collect it, collect it. You'll be giving it away to your son later. It's good, it's good. It's a good thing to do. Like you deserve it. You earned it. Well done. Like well done for getting that opportunity. You just happened to roll the dice uh, the right way. But actually the Bible has a very different view of ownership. So the Bible, and I think we'd get this on a higher sense. On a higher level, who do we think that the Bible says all the gold and the silver that belongs to, that the earth and all that is in it belongs to? God. Okay, we get that. We're like, yeah. But obviously, like on a kind of like a micro level, he has called us to ownership, and he has given us ownership. But actually, the Bible suggests it's a very limited kind of ownership compared to the ownership that we tend to pursue and that our culture is pursuing. So if you have been doing our daily Bible reading, we read uh, Leviticus recently. Well done for sticking with us in Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus 25 brings in this concept of the year of Jubilee, which is like one of, it's one of the craziest things in the Bible, like if anyone's read it. I, think, I, don't think, I think the historians don't even think that Israel ever enacted it, so Jubilee has basically never happened. The principle is, though, the law is given to this new nation of Israel who are about to be given their land. It's 600, you know, 1,000 people, they're given this law. This is how you should work as a government and, and as a people. And um, they're given this land to go into. All the tribes are allotted land, so there is ownership there. Within those tribes, or clans are given the land. And they're allowed to do business. So, you know, some of them do well, make good decisions, amass more land. Some of them do less well, lose out. 
That's humanity. That's how humanity works. But once every 50 years, there's a year of jubilee where private property is returned. It is absolutely crazy. Like, as in, if we did that right now, bear in mind it's never been done. I don't know if any, I don't know what ownership is. I'm like, is anything, like, I didn't make this shirt. Does that mean it's not mine? Like, I, you know, it's just this crazy concept. Now, because it's like so big and crazy, and you think, well, we can, you know, I mean, we can have a crack at doing it right now, but I don't think anyone would own anything in this building. Uh, if, if we were to, you know, you think it would be crazy for us to try and do that now, and obviously the original Israelites might have thought it was crazy because there was a reason why they didn't do it. But it's not crazy, it's from God. And there is a deep principle in there that even if we're not going to be able to apply the year of Jubilee next year, we should think about. And that principle is that there is a limit on the amount of ownership that we're meant to pursue in our lives. So society isn't meant to be like claiming more and more, it's all fair, if it's yours, it's good, because the reality is that's all about the richer getting richer and the poor getting poorer. That's how it works. Everyone knows the rich gets richer and the poor gets poorer. That's because if you're allowed to amass, then you pass it on to your son, your daughter, they're the ones who amass, and the poorer are able to amass less and less and less. So that's a biblical principle of ownership. And I think it's really pertinent, because when we think about generosity, my generosity, previous to having this revelation, has been like, it's my stuff, I own it, and I'm condescending to give you a little bit of it. So, like, you know, appeal comes up, like, oh, like, I'll give you a little bit. That's nice, though, isn't it? I shouldn't have to. That's like me doing my bit. That's what we say, isn't it? My good deed for the day. Because I feel like I own it. But the Bible says, like, the Bible says, like, what are you talking about when it comes to ownership? God owns it, and he suggests that we keep trying to equally distribute it. And further than that, he cares deeply about justice and this unequal distribution, so he's calling us to spread it around as well. Does that make some sort of sense? That's a lot of principles, like, in one go. Um, so uh, I, I actually don't think uh, it's too strong uh, a thing to say that when we don't apply justice to generosity, I think that we are very much in danger of living under the curse of the sin when it comes to money on this earth for two reasons. One is because of this unequal distribution, because generosity is actually something, it's not something nice that God's given to us. He's given it to us as a powerful mechanism, which we're meant to care about a lot to deal with this unequal distribution. If we don't do that, we're inherently being the rich getting richer and not thinking about the poor who are getting poorer. So that's one way that it keeps the curse going. But the other way is for ourselves as well, right? Because it's that thing of, like, you can't love two masters. You know that spending begets spending. Like, the more I earn, the more I, like, find ways to spend it. So actually, you, the rich who get richer, they're never satisfied, are they? Like, you just, you spend, 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 and you're under a curse for yourself, and you're keeping other people under a curse as well. So justice and generosity. And when you start thinking about this, when you start thinking about ownership as God owns it all, and he's called us to an, a, a more equal distribution, and generosity is this powerful weapon in doing that. Then you start to think, particularly when I was thinking about like how generosity was like me being like really awesome, you start to think like, how can anyone credit it to me? So like if I give money to like someone who's poor, like I don't really deserve any credit for that. And in a sense, I really don't think that I do. And yet God still commands a blessing on us when we do that. There's loads of scriptures about this, but Proverbs 19 says, how says he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. I mean, that is crazy, right? Like, it's not like God's like, oh, I've helped like loads of the poor, but I've run out of money. Can you lend me some money? Like, obviously, that's not what the case. And yet, he says, he who lends to, gives to the poor is lending to the Lord. Amazing. So that's justice and generosity. Sermon one done. Sermon two, mercy. Uh, <coughs> mercy means having compassion on someone. Jesus was merciful. I feel, uh, probably of the three topics, this is the one I feel most challenged about when it comes to the practical application of generosity. Okay, this example, 
John the Baptist um, has just died. John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. He came, uh, he prepared the way for Jesus. He is beheaded by Herod, so I say he died. He was murdered. Jesus' medium-term response is to walk on water and feed 5,000 people, so, like, pretty big response. His short-term response is he goes away to try and get some time by himself and with the Father. So he's essentially in mourning, like he's in a bad place. Tries to get away. Jesus has been doing amazing things in his ministry by this stage. People have never heard teaching like that. He's, you know, he's, he's feeding them. He's literally giving them stuff. He's healing them of their infirmities and of their physical ailments. People are following him in their thousands. So he tries to get away. And we pick up the story in Mark. We're told that he's out on a boat. Thanks, Joe. Uh, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, so this is Jesus who's gone away. He needs some space. He comes out on the boat. What does he see? He sees like a crowd of people being like, Jesus, touch me first, touch me first. And he looks at them and has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. I feel super challenged when it comes to the topic of generosity with my time and how I am with people. I think it's fair to say that Jesus was not having a good day. Like it's a bit trite really saying he was having a bad day. My bar for having a bad day is a lot lower than Jesus is in that sense. Like, I think, like, if I'm having a busy day and someone narks me at work, uh, you know, if it's a Monday, like, I'm having a bad day. And my bar, and the impact that has on me is, like, you know, I still get up, I still do my childcare, I'm such a martyr. I then go to work, someone else annoys me, I'm a martyr. I come home, I do my childcare. I do not want to see people, like, if I'm having a bad day. Like, I'm like, I just want to focus on myself and how bad a day I'm having and, you know, just massage myself back to, like, I deserve it. Like, stay away from me. Like, how dare you even text me out of the blue suggesting we should meet? Or, like, even worse we've planned to meet someone this evening I'm like oh come on it's so unfair Joe you meet them instead Jesus doesn't have to put a mask on Jesus isn't like he's not getting to for sure and he's like oh the multitudes are here <laughs> like great I really wanted to touch you of your infirmities like are there any lepers in the building uh, Jesus looks at them and he has compassion on them now the reason that Jesus has compassion on them is because Jesus again is all about needs and not about wants. So he sees them, and he recognises needs. So my issue, when I'm like having a bad day, is that I'm just caring about my wants. Like, I'm not caring about my needs. I'm like, my needs are being met. I should be thankful to God. I should be, you know, trying to be generous with my heart. Instead, I'm just like, I want this instead. I want to watch the football tonight, or whatever it is. And then when people come round, all I can see is their wants as well. But Jesus is just looking for needs. He sees these people, and he recognises that stuff is going on. Okay, so I've said that financially, probably most of us don't have needs. There will be some people in this, in this building who have needs. But there's everyone here has needs. What I'm not saying is, like, you're all just people who have wants. Your needs are met. Everyone has this needs, whether that's, you know, emotional, physical, social, financial, whatever kind of thing it is. And Jesus recognises this um, about people. Um, and he also recognises, you know, his generosity is um, he's recognised his life is not his own. That's how he's living his life. And it's easy to think, well, you know, that was Jesus, he did this three-year ministry and then it was over, so he, like, he has it easy. We're called to that as well. 1 Corinthians says, Our li- your life is not your own, you were bought at a price. We were bought by Jesus dying for us, and we're meant to be living this life for him. So what do we do about this? Well, I think it's about what people need. And it's interesting, this thing of need versus want. You know, it's how the Bible judges us as rich uh, or poor as well. But, it, you know, I mean, I've even been reflecting as a church, which do we care more about? Do we care more about what people want? Do we care more about what people want on a Sunday to make sure that we're in attractional service? Or do we care more about need so that we're meeting the needs of, of, of one another in this room and, and people outside of it as well? That's how we go about it. The scripture that I nearly um, uh, went with, with uh, for this preach, the sermon that could have been, uh, was Matthew 25. And um, it's, uh, it's that bit. Jesus is giving a parable about the end times, uh, and he's talking about that he's going to come back as a king, which he will, and he's going he's to judge people. So people are either going to an eternity with a father in paradise, 
uh, or they're going to, and this is the words of the Bible, they're going to uh, an eternity for the fires that have been made with the devil and the angels. So pretty big stuff in this topic. And he splits the people into the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Uh, and the sheep, he says, uh, to those on his right, he says, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous turned to him and they're like, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm on that side, but like, when did I do any of that stuff for you? And he says, I tell you, but the least you did for one of my brothers, you did that for me. And when he turns to the people on the left and he says, you didn't visit me in prison, you didn't give me a drink when I was thirsty, and they said, when did we ever see you to not do that? And he says, I tell you, when you didn't do that for one of my brothers, you didn't do it for me. And um, it's a really powerful, it's meant to be a really powerful scripture, okay? It's not like I need to manipulate it to make that powerful. This is Jesus talking about the end times. We know that we're saved by grace and not by works. So what he's not saying is you literally have to do one of those things to go into heaven. Similarly, I don't think he's saying that those are the only things that he's commending as right. You know, if there was like a poor person who was in prison all their life, they would never have a chance to visit someone else in, in prison or give to someone who was poor. So he's not, he's not talking about the specifics. He's talking about a principle again. But what we do see in these principles is that uh, he is talking about um, this generosity that is sacrificial and that is compassionate and that is merciful. That is, the gener- that is something that he is literally calling us to. So that's mercy. It sounds, uh, it sounds pretty exhausting, I think. That's why I feel so challenged by it. But he will provide for us, which is a nice little segue into section number three, faithfulness. Uh, faithfulness, there's a couple of ways you could talk about faithfulness. I'm really kind of like talking about faith-filled so you can talk about faithful in terms of like plodding on or like continuing, persisting, but then there's also that faith that is required for you to persist, and that's really what I'm talking about, having faith uh, in being able to, to be generous. And we're called to be generous because of justice, because of mercy, but also because of faithfulness. So generosity is sacrificial, right? We've just heard that. I think, again, something else that, you know, when I, when I started thinking about this preach, something else that I've gotten wrong about generosity. Generosity is such like a nice word. You know, like some words like sound really harsh. Generosity just sounds like a lovely person doing a lovely thing and like a fuzzy feeling at the end of it. But it's really sacrificial. Like the generosity that Jesus shows us, that's hard. That doesn't sound like a lovely person doing a lovely thing and getting a warm, fuzzy feeling. That feels like knackering. Like that feels sacrificial. And biblical, biblical generosity is meant to be sacrificial. Okay, so whatever way you give, there's calls to be a sacrifice. So it's not that you're giving money because I've got so much freaking money that, to be honest, I might as well, like I wouldn't even notice the difference. Like there's a point here that the generosity, when I give money, that is something that I couldn't spend it on instead. And it's not because we're called to like whip ourselves, oh yeah, like I'm really like cutting down on stuff, but it's because generosity is, is meant to be sacrificial. Because it's sacrificial, it requires faith, but we can have it. Because generosity, sacrificial generosity, leads us to rely more on God. So if you think about occasions in your life where you've had to like really rely on God, and just reflecting how, how f- infrequent um, that sometimes like feels like it is in our lives, like sometimes, you know, like if you're in a small group setting, it might be you're like, the masks are off at this stage, and you're being vulnerable, and it's like, how you doing? Like, yeah, really well, great. How you doing? Great, really well. Like, you know, I've got a promotion, like, Yes, praise God for that. How are you doing? Really badly, actually. Like, oh, right, okay, let's talk about that. And they're talking, and you're thinking, man, they're doing really, really badly. I can't even think of, like, you know, I've got, just, like, flicking through, like, none of, like, the, the trite little phrases I've got is going to be able to help this person, like, in this moment. And they're like, yeah, I'm really having to rely on God in this one. And you're like, whoa, like, man, crikey, like, you know you're, like, at the end of yourself when you're having to rely on God for something. Like, you must have, like, exhausted all your other possibilities if you're in a situation where you're literally trying to rely on God. 
And I think that's just, again, because like in our culture, the reality is, is that so much of the time we feel like we don't have to rely on God. So like financially, like I am relying on God, but a lot of the time like I have to, I have to remind myself that's the case because I've got a salary and I've got a budget and when I put the two together, like it looks like I'm going to be okay. And I tell myself that you know, the might of my own arm is what has earned that. That's not true. I am relying on God, but it means that on a day-to-day basis, I don't feel like I'm relying on him, which means that sometimes when you're in these situations of needing to rely on him, sometimes we almost feel anxious or angry at God. Like, how dare you put me in a situation where, like, there's no answer? Like, what are you going to do about the answer? Like, give me an answer. I prefer that answer. But this is the norm for Christians. This is meant to be the place that we're in. We are meant to be relying on God in all, all circumstances. And he will back us in this. We can be faithful when it comes to this. And these sacrificial acts of generosity, these faith-filled acts of generosity, lead us into that place. There's so much more I could say about why we're going to be faith-filled. Just just a couple, though. One, as I said earlier, it's meant to be sacrificial, but it doesn't mean that you're called to be reckless or make terrible decisions. We're called to be good stewards as well. We're called to look after our families, make every attempt to. Um, So you're not meant to be making crazy decisions. But actually, we can have faith that even if we are doing something the world would say is is pretty crazy, that he's got our back in it, particularly when he's he's called us to it in specific examples. If we think about um, the rich man and Jesus, which is one of my favorite stories, and I I could have talked about more when it comes to money. This is that one. The rich man comes to Jesus, and he says, you know, like, good teacher. And Jesus is like, why do you call me good? And he's like, fine, teacher. He's like, well, you know, tell me how, like, I can be saved. And he's like, you need to do these things from the Ten Commandments. And the rich man says, I've done these all my life. And Jesus says, crack him. And then it says, Jesus looks at him with compassion, so compassion in his heart. And he says, one more thing you must do to become perfect. You must sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and come follow me. And it says that the rich man went away very sad because he had great wealth. It's really easy to read that and think what Jesus is asking that rich man to do is unfair. Like he's saying, mate, listen, if you really want to be in with me, I want you to be poor as. Like, go and sell your stuff. Like, make sure you've got holes in your clothes before you come back and speak to me. And then I'll love you not. But that's not what he's saying. Like, it's not even in the scripture. It's really clear that's not what he's saying. He says, sell everything you have cool, give it, which is hard, give it to the poor, we can understand why that's good from that merciful perspective, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. He's inviting him into community, like immediately that moment. When we think about the story of Jesus and his 12 disciples and the other ones who went around with them, they weren't in need. There's no stories of like, you know, the disciples were sat around thinking like, where's our next bread going to come from? Like Jesus had it all the time. They were not in need. He was calling them to a better community, but it feels scary when you do it, right? It must have felt scary for that rich person, and that's the kind of thing that we're we ask ourselves as well. So, faith-filled, he's got your back. Oh, so many more I could say. It's better to give than received. It's more blessed to give than received. We believe that. Receiving is pretty good. It's not saying that receiving sucks, believing, uh, like, but giving is really good. But we've got, you know, do we believe that? And like, practically, what does that look like? You know, does it mean that when someone gives me money, you've got a choice to give it on? Like, I don't know, but we've got to believe these scriptures. But there's loads of reasons for us to be faith-filled uh, about uh, having this uh, God heart of generosity. Okay, that's the heart of generosity in three uh, shortened sermons. (laughs) Uh, uh, Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I just want to talk a little bit about practicality um, behind this because there's any number of ways you could apply this, but it's clear from the word that application is a part of it. He says, you know, Pharisees, like, woe to you for just doing the thing without the heart. I want you to have the heart. But when we get the heart, there is a consistent call to do the thing. And there's a number of ways that it could look like. Um, 
largely focused on money in this because we are doing the big give at the moment. That's not a manipulation thing. You know, if, if you're here, if this is like your second week, you probably think, man, we talk about money all the time. If you've been here for two years, you'll know this is like the third time we've preached on money in two years. Um, other times it's about serving, other times it's about different types of generosity, but it's all in the words. Um, and it can feel bewildering to know how to do this, um, right? It can feel like, man, like, which do I do first? Do I do the justice, or do I do this, or do I do this? Um, going to the Lord is a good way of starting. So in, in Psalms, uh, he says, I love this. I've been reading this loads recently. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. God will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. We're about to have a quiet moment in a bit when we think about this. Ask the Lord what to do. But when it comes to giving, there are also some principles through which we can structure our response to this as well. And there's just uh, three ones that I want to really quickly pick up, all from the Old Testament, and just talk about practical application. So, first one is the uh, biblical principle of gleaning. So, Leviticus again. Leviticus gets a lot of shout-outs. It's definitely one of my top five uh, law books. Uh, Leviticus 19. uh, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your fields right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. This made a lot more sense when everyone was a farmer, uh, but it's, and when harvesting wasn't so good because of machinery. But basically the premise was people, their wealth was in their land. When you harvested it once, you didn't pick up everything because they didn't have like these awesome machines. Stuff was left. Those were the gleanings. The law was leave those so that the poor can come and take them. That is one way which the rich provide for the poor. Ruth, in the Bible, pretty famous, she had her own book, she's in the lineage of genius. She survived for a period of time because of the law of gleaning as well, so it's a pretty big thing. Really, there's, there's any number of ways, but it's basically about like God, you know, there's arms giving as well. God causes us to give to the poor in a number of ways. Gleaning I like as a principle. When you think about how we might apply that today, it's quite difficult because not many of us have farms, I suppose, when we do work on a farm. You could do, is gleaning still a thing? Bring it back if it's not, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but there are ways we can do it in our own life. Uh, one, way, uh, one way specifically when thinking about money is let me ask you, is all of your money accounted for? Which sounds a little bit sinister, like, check again, I've taken money from all of your wallets. Uh, <coughs> all your money should be accounted for because we're called to be good stewards, so I'd, I'd advise people who don't to budget. But within that budget, do you know where all the money's going? Yeah, like this bit's all going on needs, and then I want something, this one, this one, this one. Is there any room within your money for regular, irregular giving? Like, is some money put aside? Now, it's harder to do that in the world of cards, right? In my, in my old church, which was quite a big church, they did this, this great thing on the topic, which was like, if everyone just put a pound, we, I mean, we still have a giving box, if everyone put a pound in the giving box, by the end of the year, we'd have, you know, X amount of pounds. For us, it would be much less than that big church, but it'd still be like four or five K, which is, you know, a lot of money. But I really like that idea of, like, gleaning. So for a long time, whenever I've had cash left at the end of the week, I'll either put it in the basket. If I'm in town, I try to make sure I've already got some cash in case I see someone in need. It's hard because we live by plastic, but it's, like, an intentional way of going about it. Other ways, too, though, you know, like food bank. When you do your food shop, most of the shops now, like, put food bank trolleys there. Can you buy some additional stuff? Um, Time as well, if we're talking about generosity in terms of uh, giving of yourself and energy. Are all of your evenings full up? I mean, if you go to church, they probably are. Uh, and, and some of that is good, like there's this like, thing of like, commitment, and, and we really care about that. But are all of your evenings full of, you know, are you selective with who you hang out of in like, the free evenings? So, like, or, or, or is there no space in your evenings to hang out with someone who's not like you, or someone who's new to church, or someone who's lonely, or someone who never gets invited around for dinner? At work, this is a big one for me, at work. I'm so busy because I'm so important. 
I'm so busy. Do I have time when someone wants to talk to me about something? I'm not saying that they're about to like open up and I'm about to bring them to the Lord, but that is the path towards it in terms of like, do I make time for people or is there room for gleaning in my life in terms of generosity? Tithing, 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 tithing is the big one. <laughs> uh, tithing is, I've literally done a preach on tithing, so loads more to say on this, grabbing at the end or don't. Uh, what is it? Roughly what we're speaking about is this principle in the Old Testament Mosaic law of consecrating the first 10%, your first fruits, to the Lord, giving it to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord, but I'm saying this belongs to the Lord especially to remind me that it all belongs. We've roughly translated... That was given to the temple, given to God, given to the temple. We've roughly translated that through the murkiness of time and into the New Testament as giving 10% of our finances to the church, which is the modern-day equivalent. Of it. Actually, it's worth saying that in the Mosaic Law, because of other regular givings that they had throughout the year, it was more like people gave 23.3%. So, okay, sounds lucky. Uh, should, should we tithe today is, is the question, is where I'm heading. I believe that the Bible says that we should be tithing today. Okay, I, th- I think that the Bible says that if you are a member of a church, if you're not a member of a church, it's a great thing to do. But once you're committed, once you're part of a church, that you should be giving money to God, consecrating money to God uh, via the church. Malachi says that not tithing is robbing God, which for me, when I was about like 19, that was like a pretty compelling reason. Uh, it also says, trust me in this, if you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, see that I will not make your barns overflow with goodness as well. So it's a thing of, you can't, out, you can't outgive God, but there is this call to giving. Jesus, in the scripture we've looked at today, implies that we should tithe. He doesn't say to the Pharisees, stop tithing, I hate it when you tithe, like just do these other things, which are massive principles. He's saying that you should not forget to do the former. You should be doing the latter, but not forget to do the former, the other way around. As he says, we should do it. The New Testament consistently talks about provision being made for, uh, for the church, uh, for ministries, for full-time ministers and ministry, missionaries um, as well. Um, so I think the church calls us to do it. I think the call, church calls us to give in a number of ways. And, and I recognize that when we're talking about generosity, it might feel like, but, you know, we've just been talking about generosity. You've really stirred me up to give to the poor. Like, giving to the church just feels like this faceless institution or the faces I put behind it don't feel like people who need generosity. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think the church calls us to do both as well. You know, that, if, if I, that's what I, I read the scriptures and see. I, I read the scriptures and see that, that the Bible is calling us to give to the church and to give to the poor. Um, and it's good. It's good to consecrate things. Andrew Haslam talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he talked to us about the devotional life of Jesus. So, you know, tithing is consecrating money. It's me saying, like, all of my money belongs to God. God, I trust you. I, I do trust him with money. I've had some great stories about money in my life and the journey that God has taken us on. I trust him with my money, so I'm going to give him this first bit just to remind myself that it all belongs to him. And because I know it's going to be used for good through the church as well. It's good because it helps us to limit as well. Okay, so if we think about that earlier principle of being uh, uh, justly generous and of the fact that most of us are in the rich, one of the ways to stop us developing that curse of the rich just getting richer and us being a part of that is to put limits on our money. This feels like totally radical. John Wesley do it. I know that there's someone in the church who I know has put a limit on the amount of money that they're going to spend on themselves. I just think it's great. Like, why not do it? And it feels really tricky to do this, right? Because whenever we talk about money uh, once every three, two years, uh, we talk about um, the things that you could be spending your money on or maybe the things that the Bible talks a bit more about. And, you know, we say, oh, you know, get a nicer house, get a nicer carpet, um, nicer holiday, get a second car. And then we always say, uh, these things are not bad in and of themselves. And they're not. What it's really about is that scripture that says, all things are permitted, but not all things are beneficial. 
So was Jesus saying to the rich man, you are cursed if you hold on to your wealth, like you are a sick and evil man and you will be saved if you give it all away? He wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying that. Now, there are loads of scriptures that suggest it's hard. That scripture straight after, he says, it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. So it's harder for him. But he's not saying that you need to throw it away. Is it bad that I want to get new carpets? Like, no, my carpet sucks. Like, it's really dirty because of the kids. That's like not a sin. But I can't get a new carpet and give to this. And if I can do both of those things, then it's not sacrificial giving. Now, we just need to weigh that as we're going up along as well. It's not like I'm not going to get a new carpet. We're going to get a new carpet, aren't we? We're going to get a new carpet. That's the outcome of this. Permitted and beneficial. So it's good because it helps us living, uh, limit. Um, so I think we should tithe. I think the Bible says that quite clearly. Um, <clears throat> the key thing, though, is giving cheerfully and without compunction. So am I saying that I think everyone here should tithe 10%? Uh, no, I'm saying that you should all tithe 23.3%. <laughs> I think there's a principle here that we should commit to, but the gracious application that I see is in that scripture of like, God loves a cheerful giver, who gives without compunction, which means that we're not coercing you. It means, for like, I'm not literally telling you to go and give X amount of money. It's, I'm pointing out a principle to you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, cheerful and without compunction. Um, and I, I think we have talked about this at length before, so I'll just mention it again briefly. When it comes to tithing, I think the key principle for us in, in this world is um, proportionate giving. So for some people in this room, it might be for the case, but for the majority of people in this room, 10% is not an appropriate amount for you to tithe. Some people you don't have enough money to tithe 10%. Like, if you don't have £1,000, don't give £1,000 away, like, unless God has specifically called you to do that. For some people, that would not be the sensible thing to do. So you shouldn't be tithing 10%. It would be crazy for you to doing that. But the other principle is, like, you know, imagine, like, someone who's, like, barely got any money and they're just managing to give away 10% and, like, getting themselves into a tighter and tighter spot. And then you've got the rich who's like, oh, man, I got away with 10%. Like, 90% of my earnings is, like, massive, so it's not an issue. So for some of us, it's potential that for most of us, if we were to apply this, the principle is that like 10% is not enough for it to be sacrificial. This, I know this is a big challenge thing. I think this thing is a journey, so I'm not telling again everyone should go and do this straight away. And I'm not saying this so that people would think I'm holy. I don't think I'm holy. I think I suck. But me and my wife, we, for us at the moment, 10% doesn't feel like it would be appropriate for us to give away. It feels, that feels like it would be too little to give away. I don't feel like we're rich. I'm looking at these principles. I've asked for the Lord to help me over a period of years. It's not like I became a Christian and I was like, woo, double tied and straight away. Um, but I think there is a principle for us to think about. The key thing is, though, is I do think we're called to that regular giving. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to say on tithing. Yeah. <clears throat> Last one, very quickly, sacrificial giving. I've kind of led into this as well. Um, it might be that at times we're called beyond this. I just think, I just think this is a journey for everyone. Okay, so I just think, I think if you never give... Uh, you know, to the church and you're a member of a church or outside of a church in whatever way to other people, whether it's financial or relational, pick up gleaning. Say, I'm going to do something about it. Start doing something irregularly. If you give irregularly, think about giving regularly. If you give regularly, think about tithing. If you tithe already, think about every now and again, thinking about how much you tithe. But there are times where we are called sacrificial giving. Um, the Bible is quite clear about that. It might be that there's a specific call upon you for something. It might be that you see someone and God touches your heart for it. You know, I think when we, when we collected for those churches in Nepal uh, at the back end of last year, raised loads of money. It was incredible. There was a specific call there for us to give a sacrificial giving. The big give, we're pushing on to try and get a building. We really believe that God has called us to step into that, that area. That, for me, is like an unusual thing. So when I give towards that, that's going to be sacrificial giving. It's not that I'm going to stop my time and give towards it. So I think there is that call for it as well. Key thing is he calls us to be cheerful doing this. And what I want to say, I guess the band might want to come up at this point. Um, 
cheer uh, doesn't necessarily translate into like, I feel so peaceful about it. It's not like he's like saying like, woo, like I'm just like giving away all my money and like I feel like no care about it. It can feel like quite a scary process, but it's like about setting your heart on the Lord and saying that I believe that you're with me in this. It's an obvious place to go with this, but I think the ultimate motivation for us when it comes to generosity and looking at the way of Jesus and generosity is the fact that he gave his life for us. Like His was a life that wasn't about amassing loads of wealth and then giving that away. He told the people who did that to do that, but he himself gave of himself to the point of death. He recognized that his life was not his own. I love this scripture in Romans 5 that says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We do not deserve that generosity of the Lord. Our life has been bought at a cost that we did not deserve, that we can do nothing to deserve. We're not meant to try and deserve it, but there's got to be a movement in our heart in response to that. Guys, I, just, I think we're called to, to, to have generosity, however this is expressed, whether this is at work, at home, at church, through, through serving, through listening to someone who needs to talk, through giving money. But we're called to have generosity justly, because we ourselves do not deserve to be saved. We're called to have generosity with compassion because we ourselves do not deserve his mercy. And we're called to have generosity in faith because in by faith we are saved. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.